Listener Production. As this year shudders to a close, are we going to dare to peek over the parapet into 2022? Are we going to do it? Well, that's what we plan to do. We're going to have to We're do it. We're doing it. it. <laughs> well, the biggest thing that will happen next year, big, bold prediction here. What, COVID <laughs> is still around? <laughs> That'll still be messing with us, unfortunately. It's like just doing its thing, of course, as we head into another holiday of just like ruining our plans. But the other thing that's in the calendar is the federal election. Yeah, that well, it's is... Not in the calendar well, it's specifically in, it's yet in, on any particular day. That's right. It's in pencil. It hasn't been penned in, that's right. but it's in pencil. It's probably going to be March, April or May, around that time. Mm. So on this episode of The Briefing, what will sway next year's election? Will it be COVID? COVID management or mismanagement? Will it be the economy? Or will it be, as comedian Dan Illick argues, climate change? The election coming up is probably the most important election in the world. And that is not hyperbole. It'll absolutely determine how many gigatons of carbon either stay in the ground or get burnt in the air. So you might recognise that voice. Dan's the guy who put up those witty Times Square billboards that tried to probably did embarrass our government on their climate ambitions. Yeah, we're going to get his view on whether climate change is going to make a difference next year. He reckons it definitely will. That is in the second half of the briefing first. As always, here are today's headlines. It is Friday, the 17th of December. You're with Tom and Jan. Well, we're starting today with a tragic story. It's one that I haven't stopped thinking about since it happened yesterday, but the death toll from yesterday's Jumping Castle tragedy has very sadly risen to five as the Tasmanian community of Devonport struggles to come to terms with what's happened. We're a very close-knit community and everyone will know someone and will have connections with that school community. It's just beyond um, comprehension at this point. That's the Devonport Mayor Annette Rockcliffe. Authorities confirmed the latest death last night. Four children remain in hospital after the jumping castle they were playing on was lifted 10 metres off the ground and was moved 50 metres along. On a day when these children were meant to be celebrating their last day of primary school, instead we're all mourning their loss. Our hearts are breaking for the families and the loved ones. That was Tasmania Police Commissioner Darren Hines speaking there. Now the children at the primary school in Devonport, they were celebrating the last day of term. What we understand has happened is that a sudden gust of wind sent the structure into the air. This was around 10am local time. The Bureau of Meteorology, though, says that readings that morning didn't appear to be a particularly windy day. Uh, I spoke to the Mayor of Davenport yesterday. She said it wasn't a particularly windy day either. So not clear exactly what's happened and how this tragedy has unfolded. Yeah, the bomb saying 7 to 19 k's, so yeah, as you said, not that windy. And jumping castles are meant to withstand 40 k's, so yeah, we'll wait and see what actually happened. And New South Wales authorities have fined two men after they allegedly broke COVID isolation and went to the Newcastle nightclub that became an Omicron super spreader event. So these two 20-year-olds had been told to isolate, uh, then they tested positive. It's believed one of them had been on that Sydney Harbour cruise where there were a number of cases. And now authorities have confirmed that from this Argyle Hotel super spreader event, uh, more than 200 out of the 650 people there have got COVID. Yeah, I've seen this reported as the biggest super spreader events of 2021. 200 people catching COVID at one venue. It's a lot of people. Uh, The state's health minister, Brad Hazard, yesterday was warning residents across the state to 
you know, employ some common sense and avoid crowded events. This is as the state saw a new record of COVID cases, 1,742 new cases. My advice to the community more broadly is be sensible. Might be a good idea to just stay away from anywhere that has a lot of people jammed in together. The law is not stopping you, but common sense should be saying, do I really need to go there? Yeah, common sense is a, is a difficult one to track and police. And I think people in New South Wales, Sydney in particular, they've been in lockdown for four months, probably looking forward to a great summer. I know I am. Yeah. It's going to be a difficult one to tell people, don't do the things that you've really, really wanted to do, even though technically, legally you can. Yeah, it puts people in a tricky situation. Mm. There's another um, super spreader event that's just happened as well um, in Sydney, actually pretty close to where we're broadcasting right now, the Metro Theatre. There was a Taylor Swift party where there's nearly 100 COVID cases. So there are these events popping up. We're finally getting to go to them. Mm. People wanting to go to their Christmas parties. It's very tense and awkward. Mm. Speaking of events, in Victoria, Premier Dan Andrews has now gone into isolation after being at an event with a positive COVID case over the weekend. Mm. It's all over the country. And the federal government's announced a major oil and gas exploration project off the coast of New South Wales will not go ahead. Uh, It's called PEP 11, Petroleum Exploration Permit 11, and it would have seen drilling off the coast between Wollongong, Sydney and Newcastle. Yeah, not anymore though. The PM, Scott Morrison, says the project not going to be approved. The government has advised, I have advised the New South Wales Minister of our decision, of my decision, of our intention to refuse the application. Yeah, it's a popular decision because there's been a a groundswell of opposition from surfers, lifesavers and environmentalists. And they've actually been fighting this since the exploration licence was granted all the way back in 1999. And nearly 1,500 documents relating to the assassination of John F. Kennedy have been publicly released by America's National Archives. So the previously secret cables and memos were promised by President Joe Biden. Um, So far, though, no indication they provide the answer to what actually happened. Yeah, the CIA documents detail visits by the gunman Lee Harvey Oswald to the embassies of the Soviet Union and Cuba in the lead-up to the 1963 assassination. They also discuss possible Cuban involvement in the shooting. There are researchers, JFK researchers, who have sort of reacted with a bit of disappointment to these files, just saying "Mm, they contain minimal details. And there's also a bunch of redacted documents as well. So not the full picture, but a little bit more than what we've seen previously. Maybe something for the sort of JFK assassination nerds, though. Something to read. This comes at an interesting time because... John F. Kennedy's daughter, Caroline Kennedy, has just been named as the new U.S. ambassador to Australia. So that's pretty exciting because she's Democrat royalty, part of the the Kennedy family. And this is seen as a signal that the Biden administration are taking us really seriously as an ally. Yeah. She's, she's got some chops, though, as, as an ambassador. She was the former U.S. ambassador to Japan. So That's a pretty important post as well. Yeah. And a bizarre cricket story. Right on the eve of the second test, the Australian captain, Pat Cummins. Oh, dear. He was deemed a close contact, forced out of the Adelaide test. Yeah, so that's led to the return to the captaincy. And by the way, Pat Cummins was only captaining his second test here after the whole scandal with Tim Payne and the sexting. So now we've gone back to... Another familiar face with a bit of a controversial history too. Pretty interesting morning, a uh, bit been going on, but um, yeah, feel for, for Paddy, uh, obviously missing this game, but um, I'll try and lead on the way he started last week. 
Yeah, so that was Steve Smith there speaking to uh, Fox Sports. So he stepped in to take on captain duties, you might remember, for the first time since the ball tampering saga. Some other sporting slash political news. That was a terrible segue. Uh, Nine newspapers are reporting that former Wallabies captain David Pocock is today announcing that he's running for federal politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's going to throw his hat into the ring to become an independent senator for the ACT. So what's driving him is basically lack of action on climate change. That's what Mm. he's hoping to change. Yeah, well, that's amazing. I mean, he's a hugely credible figure um, for his what he did out on the field, basically stealing the ball off the other team um, more than anyone else almost in the history of the game. But he was also well known for his environmental activism. While he was a wallaby, he chained himself to a bulldozer on a New South Wales proposed mine site, got arrested, um, got into a bit of trouble for that with the rugby authorities, but he really stood his ground and was really outspoken. And um, he's been doing some amazing conservation work in Zimbabwe and now he's coming back to do this. Yeah, it's obviously something that he's incredibly passionate about. And he's one of just a slew of independents that look like they're going to be running in next year's federal election. How many do you think will win though? Well, I mean, I don't know. I know better than to cast predictions. Well, David Crow in the Sydney Morning Herald today said, lucky to get two. Okay. They're all running on the topic of climate change too, so hoping to really change the federal government's approach to climate change, Mm. which tells you the issue is on the cards. And funnily enough, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in our briefing topic. Yeah. I think Dan Ellick will be very happy about that, David Pocock News. Indeed. You might remember Dan Illick as this guy. He's trying to get the world to pay attention to the failure of Australian leaders to address the crisis by raising over $150,000 to display this giant billboard in Times Square. It reads, for a limited time, come to Australia to cuddle a koala before we make them extinct. Sounds like a joke, but the message is deadly serious. Yeah, so Dan reckons those billboards are going to come back. In the federal election, there's another prediction for you, Jen. Mm-hmm. Will it come true, though, dum-dum-dum? <laughs> so Dan believes that climate change will be the issue that swings the result. Now, many people have thought that before, e.g. the 2019 election, where Labor went really hard on their climate policy and lost lots of Queensland voters and the unlosable election. Yeah, well, let's see what is making Dan think that climate change is going to be the key issue of the 2022 federal election. Dan Illick, great to have you back on The Briefing. Last time we spoke to you, we were heading into Glasgow. You were throwing up billboards in Times Square and other lo-fi places like that, um, trying to embarrass Scott Morrison over his climate policy. How did that wind up? How much embarrassment did you cause? I don't know if there's an embarrassment index, yeah. but yeah, I was how did say, it go? Hard to measure, but do it for us. Oh, well, look, you know, at 9.45 when those billboards went up on the 14th of October, he wasn't going to Glasgow. But then by 2.15pm, he held a press conference to say he was. So, you know, he was sufficiently embarrassed enough to go to Glasgow. But unfortunately, all the world leaders there were also shunning him. So he actually got another level of embarrassment on a global scale because Mm. what he took to Glasgow was a pile of dog shit. But what do you want specifically? Because the call initially was to commit to a net zero target. And sure, you pointed out that the plan to get to the target had a few holes in it, but he did what most people were asking for. You know, can't you give the guy a break? This is the thing. 
The target, the plan to get to net zero by 2050 has actually no emissions reduction in it. It is about increasing emissions. It's about keeping fossil fuels around to export more fossil fuels, to keep emissions flowing. The only way they're trying to do that is to offset those emissions through mystery technology and conceptual art projects like the carbon capture storage, mm. um, which is basically a gigantic sphincter in the ground to try and trap <laughs> gas. And it doesn't work. That hasn't worked anywhere around the world. And then there's stuff like carbon soil sequestration and all this other technology to take emissions out of the sky. That is the majority of this net zero by 2050 plan. It actually has nothing to do with stopping fossil fuels, with transitioning away from fossil fuels, with reducing the amount of emissions that we are responsible for, not only on our own turf, but the amount of emissions that we absolutely commit to by exporting it overseas. Yeah, The 2050 plan is a crock of shit. It actually doesn't do anything. I guess this means you won't be laying off the billboards next year doesn't by sound the like sound it, of it. it. No. I don't think the people, the 2,000 people who donated to the campaign would want me to do that because, you know, the election coming up next year is probably the most important election in the world. And that is not hyperbole because it'll absolutely determine how many gigatons of carbon either stay in the ground or get burnt in the air how many molecules of carbon dioxide there are in the air. That's what the next election is all about. The next election. But Dan, I think it is hyperbole. You know, no, we're, one of, the smallest, not, we're one of the smallest countries in the world. We're less than 2% <laughs> of global emissions. So an election in a country with less than 2% of emissions is not the most important election but in the world on climate. But we export a lot oh, of coal. Oh, my God. I, Tom, Tom Tilly, I didn't know you worked for the IPA. Well, no, of I course, didn't that, that is a great talking point from people like the IPA. But what you don't understand is that Australia is the third largest exporter of fossil fuels. And what we're talking about is mainly the amount of coal that is in the ground gets dug up and gets burnt overseas. What are our total emissions when you include exports? We're the eighth largest polluter in the world. (laughs) I mean, if if you include the export, the the coal that we export that then gets burnt in China, for example, it does make us quite a large... When we started this whole campaign, I got a lovely text message from my friend Joe in Seoul. He's one of my Obama Foundation leaders, friends in, in Seoul. And he sent me a message saying, the billboard stuff is great. He says, I know Australia and China are having a trade war at the moment, but this is the first time I've been able to see my sky because China isn't burning any of Australia's coal. That's really profound. Like our coal that normally sits in the ground, nice and safe, is being burnt and put up in the Northern Hemisphere and pollutes the entire Mm. world. And that dissipates evenly across the world, which then becomes a blanket of warming, which will then trap the sunlight, which will then increase the temperature in the earth. So what we need to do is stop it. Okay. (laughs) That's what we need to do. So let's talk about the election, which you've just claimed is the most important election in the Mm. world. That's huge. Do you think climate is going to make a difference at next year's election? Because it didn't in 2019. Labor went to the election with a much more progressive climate policy, probably more progressive than Mm. what they have now in terms of emissions reductions anyway. Do you think climate's going to make a difference next year? uh, Absolutely. I I think climate is going to make a huge difference next year. Did you Um, think that in 2019 too? Well, you know, 2019 was a different time because I don't know if you can remember anything that happened between 2019 (laughs) and 2021, Tom, but (laughs) in Australia, the whole country was on fire and we lost 3 billion animals in some devastating fires. At the very peak of that, just before New Year's Eve, the Prime Minister was taking a holiday in Hawaii. So Mm. I think people are still thinking about this. This is still fresh in folks' mind. And I think this is a catalyst for people to change the way they think about climate change. For people who are most raw about this are folks who still haven't 
had received bushfire funding to rebuild their homes around Cabago and places like that. And this is still an issue. These 2020 bushfires is still a very much a profound thing to realise, oh, wow, climate change is real and it actually does affect us. And things we think are normal are not going to be normal anymore, particularly in a few key electorates where there are extremely conservative people who are going to be voting on climate. They're going to be not voting for their Liberal candidate, but there's a whole incredible movement right now for climate independents who, mm. for all intents and purposes, look like state New South Wales liberals. They're very progressive on climate. They're very fiscally conservative. They are these interesting folks with interesting positions that are going to be taking a climate action plan to the electorate. And I think in those conservative electorates, you're going to see a massive swing from coalition voters who don't want Barnaby Joyce calling the shots on climate to seeing if they can vote in a climate independent, particularly around North Sydney, Wentworth, mm. McKellar, all these kind of electorates. And so do you reckon that we will be seeing more Zali Steggles of the world? Of course, she was the one who unseated Tony Abbott in the seat of Warringah. Is that something that you envision happening for 2022? There are clones of Zali popping up all around Australia. It's remarkable. Zoe Daniel Allegra Spender in Wentworth. She's the daughter of Carla Zampati. Like, I would not call them a, a Labor kind of supporter. They're, these are business people who are running mm. in these electorates. Uh, Kylie Tink in North Sydney. Kylie was a former CEO of the McGrath Foundation. Like, we're talking really competent, diligent women which is the opposite of what we see in Parliament, which is basically a bunch of dead shit men. <laughs> so, Dan, Scott Morrison, when he did win that miracle election in 2019, he thanked the quiet Australians, which I guess is the opposite of what you are. You're quite a noisy, opinionated Australian, which is not the sort of person he, he thinks really was important to speak to in the election. And that election proved that he, he had a knack for reading Middle Australia because it seemed like an unwinnable election. You clearly don't think that will happen again, but how are you so convinced that this is such an uh, election winner? Like, you know, climate clearly matters to you and it matters to people in your electorate in, in Wentworth, but there are so many other really impressing issues in people's lives, like putting food on the table. Yeah, and putting food on the table is a result of what? How do you put food on a table? With Working farms. for money. <laughs> well, also, the actual food comes from farms. It actually comes from places that are extremely climate vulnerable. Overfishing is a problem. Farming is a problem. Sustainable farms are a problem. These are things that actually are causing huge problems. Drought, do you think people floods. really see it that way when they go to the ballot box and, you know, they're thinking about looking after their families and it's often economic issues that win elections. Totally. And I think people definitely feel a little anxious when it comes to climate. And there's a great poll that came out earlier this year, Tom and Jan, from the ACF. And the ACF poll... So this goes to my point. Like, I don't think people in, in these suburban seats are thinking about ACF polls. Like, no, it no, really well, doesn't listen, matter to well, them. Well, he, well he, let me tell you, they are. Because the poll is huge. It's, they surveyed 20,000 people and they found that in every single electorate, over 70% of people in that electorate don't think our government is doing enough on climate change and mm. want to see our government do more on climate change. So, Tom, that is a lie. No, 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 no. But that doesn't mean it's their top issue just because they care about it a lot. Sure. Look, I haven't done a poll on people's top issues, but it's definitely on the front of people's minds. When it comes to climate, folks are concerned. Their kids are concerned. There are kids coming home from school having conversations with their parents about climate change every day. And that's a completely different shift in kind of mentality. We're seeing these grassroots movements of people becoming active in this space who were never previously active before. 
Hey, Dan, so conspiracy theories are being crazy this year. I know it's something that you've done massively on irrational fear. And I think the vaccine mandate debate has really sparked a lot of these conversations, intense protests, even threats of violence. So it's been really vexatious this year. Where do you see that going next year? Because I sense that with the booster becoming increasingly important with the Omicron wave, it kind of fuels a lot of these people's conspiratorial narratives. (laughs) What? I've got to get another vaccine? Yeah. Uh, And then they'll say, oh, it's got to be another one, another one, 50 (laughs) vaccines later. They're the comments I'm seeing online as people are responding to this Don't read the comments online. You've got to know what people are thinking. (laughs) I don't know if that is a good indicator of what people are thinking, but nonetheless. Well, look at the streets every Saturday. Like, they've been packed with tens of thousands of people with this kind of attitude. But look at the vaccination well, rates. Yeah, I know. Look, yeah, I know. it's a noisy minority. Of, you're speaking, you know, once again, we're, we're talking about the silent majority. The silent majority make up, uh, by today's count, 93.5% mm. of people who've got their first dose. So <laughs> I don't think this... Um, the crazies out there who are all for freedom kind of understand that actually a vaccine will give us freedom. The folks who have done the job, 93.5% of Australians who have done the job already of getting the vaccine, they are kind of allowing us to try to be in a best position to kind of live our best lives. So this is a super interesting thing where the anti-vaccine protesters or the freedom kind of mm. caucus, if you will, are extremely noisy, but they make up such a small amount of people. Mm. And it must be extremely lonely out there. And that's why they've just got each other <laughs> and good on them. That was Dan Illick. He describes himself as an investigative humorist, also hosts a podcast, Irrational Fear. Yeah, he was right about some things and wrong about others. He was right, I think, that the bushfires will shift sentiment on climate change and put more pressure on those inner city electorates like Warringah, Wentworth, like Kuyong in Melbourne and, and various others. But he was wrong on many other things, I believe. He's wrong that it's the most important election in the world. Okay. Well, even if you take his line that we're with exports, the eighth biggest emitter of carbon, that makes us maybe the eighth most important election, election in yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. And also that it's going to be the most important issue at the ballot box for a big proportion of Australian voters. Yes, people care about it, but it's not number one. There are a lot more pressing issues in their their lives, namely the economy, which always sways elections, but also at the moment, COVID. And I think it's actually the combination of the two, COVID and the economy, because I think it's still going to be a really uncertain time next year and people will want security particularly economic security. So I think that's going to have a big role and probably push in the coalition's favour. And whether it's true or not, a lot of people think they are better economic managers. Mm, Lots of predictions coming out in this episode. Dan, Tom, do I have any predictions? Nah, I know better than that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So over the next three weeks, we're going to bring you a stripped back version of the briefing. We'll take a, a break from the briefing topics and all the hard work and research that goes into those. Um, But we're still going to bring you the briefing headlines in your headphones each morning. So you'll still have the briefing there at 6am. We'll give you a snapshot of the daily news. Thanks to our colleagues in the listener newsroom. So you'll still get a sense of what's happening. And sadly, Jan, we're still going to have to listen to the news, aren't we, given what's happening? Yeah, it's just, it's going to keep changing with COVID. So if you want to keep on top of it, we're, we're still going to be here for you over the summer, that's for sure. So the idea, as always, is the briefing can save you from doom scrolling, which I think <laughs> is, is more important than ever during the holiday period. You want to get up, quickly listen to the briefing headlines, and then spend zero more minutes <laughs> on the news and spend as much time as possible eating prawns and 
getting skin cancer at the beach. Well, yeah, maybe not the latter. <laughs> also, a big thank you to all of you for tuning in yeah. this year. I mean, it's it's been great to have you. We love getting your feedback. We love seeing those listener numbers grow. We want more of that in 2022. There you go. That's my prediction. More listeners for the briefing? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, tell your friends about the briefing if you're enjoying listening. And yeah, thanks so much. And a really big thank you to Liam Kennedy, our news producer, headline writer, panellist, earliest waker-upper, mm-hmm. fact-checker. Mm-hmm. So many roles in one. He is leaving us sadly in 2022, so we're going to miss you, Liam. He's thank nodding you. over there. Yep. yep. Thank you for all your hard work and all the hard work from our EP, Dan Mullins, who works really hard, gets up really early to steer the ship every single day. Brooke Lowther, our news producer based in Queensland. Emily Lodge, our socials producer. Matt Cuz Curry, our editor, who turns our, our rubbish into gold. <laughs> and our supervising producers, Nick McClure and Sam Kavanagh as well. And of course, Jamila and Beth Gibson, who work on the weekend briefing, which is always great and does really well. A lot of people love listening to that. So yeah, there's the whole team. Thanked. Merry Christmas. Catch you soon. Listener.